Fantastic. Wasn't that, wasn't that great? To see the heart of a child raise up praises to our God is a fantastic thing. We as adults have some things to learn about kids and how they worship, don't we? Absolutely. My name is Mike Allsteel, and I have a privilege of, of sharing God's word, word with you this morning. Um, so in preparation for that, if you'd open up your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And as always is my heart's desire, I want to pray. Um, so if you would just join your heart with me uh, before we jump into the Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and again for the gathering of your bride. It is an honor to be among your children. It's an honor to be in a place that we can worship. It's an honor to be in a place that we can lift the name of Jesus up and bring glory unto you, Jesus. Thank you for that freedom. Thank you that you've allowed us that freedom for this time and place. We pray for those bodies that are, are gathering even this day and are not free. We pray that you would empower them, that you would strengthen them, that you would hold them with your mighty right arm. And Lord, as we jump into your word this morning, as we look at obedience and what that means for us in our lives, I pray, Lord, that you would empty me of me, simply me, use me as your vessel to declare your word, to declare your truth. And we will be an army of men and women that are careful to give you praise, give you glory for all the transformation, for all the empowerment, for all of the glory that is due you. We will give it back to you with all that we have. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. We have been uh, going through in the, in the last number of weeks a series called Grace Unleashed. And you guys have heard and, and you've been edified by the Word of God in many different ways on how grace affects our lives, of how we are called to operate in the grace of God, the gift that is this grace lavished wildly upon us. You guys have also looked at different things like, what is the law? What is this performance-based acceptance that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of God's grace? How does that affect, how does that infiltrate into our lives, our communities, and our homes? We've also looked at licentiousness this last week to where this is something that we are not called to live in licentiousness or underneath a performance-based acceptance, but rather in the freedom of, of God's grace. That is the heartbeat of this body, and it is my, my privilege and honor um, to kind of start bringing the plane down onto the runway as we're, we're looking to wrap up this series called Grace, Un grace Unleashed. Um, and Bill wanted me to mention to you as a body that if you have questions or if there are things that have gone unanswered as we've navigated through this series in the last number of weeks, that you would you would email and or contact the church office. Bring those questions forward. And Bill has assured me he will answer every single one of them next week. Okay? So if you do, with a personal phone call, absolutely. So if you do have things that have come up, uh, questions that have been left unanswered, please make those known to the church office. They'll get them into Bill's hands. And next week he'll, he will wrap up um, the series with that. So we are going to talk, like I said, about obedience. It, it really is, the mindset is such that, now how do we live? How do we live this out? If we understand the grace of our God, if we understand that we're not called to be underneath a, a performance-based acceptance, how do we live this out? 
And in a word, obedience. God has called us to be obedient followers of him. Obedience is a, is a tricky thing to teach. I, I liken it to love. If you were to describe to me or, or tell me, how do you teach somebody to love, it would be difficult to do. It, it would be difficult to find the right words that would say, well, I don't know how you do it. it just, I just do it. Think of uh, love in uh, what would be some good examples. A meal. Have you ever had a great meal? And you come away from that meal and say, I loved fill in the blank. Well, you don't have to express any more than that. That makes sense to us. We understand that, oh, he enjoyed that more than other things. Or you think of a movie. I love that movie. What that communicates to us is that something penetrated my heart that caused me to love the film. It goes deeper when relationships. I think of my wife, Leah, and the love that God has poured into me for her. It's almost like it happened upon me. I didn't see it coming in. It just happened upon me. Fourth of July is our anniversary. So we'll celebrate 19 years this July. So, But, what, but love wasn't something that I said, you know what I'm going to do? On this date, I'm going to fall in love with Leah. What happened as God continued to shape and mold my heart, it became... My love has found its home in the person of Leah. Obedience is really similar. It's difficult to teach obedience. Inter interestingly enough, obedience is birthed out of love. So if we can learn love, we'll start getting a good grasp of how this obedience can play itself out in our lives. This really is what I believe to be the culmination, the, the result of knowing the grace of God, knowing his love for us, knowing the, the pendulum swing of licentiousness and legalism, landing in the place of grace, that the culmination of this is a life of obedience. And a way that I want to um, <clears throat> show this for you is in a couple different Latin words. Okay, so we're going to try some Latin on you. The first word that I want you to hear is surdus, S-U-R-D-U-S. It's a Latin word that we get the English word absurd. So if something is absurd, surdus is the Latin word that is behind that, that English. What it means is to not listen, to be deaf, to choose not to listen. That's what surdus in the Latin means. So an absurd life is one that we don't listen. We choose not to set our ear towards. Okay, so that's surdus. So an absurd life is one that does not listen. Let me contrast it with this. Another Latin word, audire, A-U-D-I-R-E. It's the, where we get the English word audio, which means to listen. Okay? It means to set your ear upon. So the idea of, of the difference between an absurd life, where we don't listen, and the, the audire life, where we do listen where we set our ear towards. Interestingly enough, the, the Latin will put together two different words. Ob, which means to, adire. Ob adire. To listen. To put your ear towards. Guess what word comes out of ob adire? 
obey. You see that? So the beauty is that we can, in the English word, we can just say, well, just live an obedient life. And we can lose that. It doesn't quite connect. It doesn't have skin on it. But if we can step back and say, the obedient life is one that listens, puts your ear towards, makes the decision to hear what is coming to us. That's a different, we can put skin, we can get that. We can sink our teeth into the idea of an obedient life, ob adire, is to listen, a listening life. The Greek goes further um, in its definition, and that it means to listen under, but it always carries with it a connotation of to listen and respond. Love this. See, see, if you simply listen to the words that come through worship, listen to the words that come from preaching, and don't have any element of, of response to that, obedience doesn't have its full circle. That makes sense? So if we don't, if we simply listen and do not do, if we simply listen and there hasn't been a fundamental change in us and how we interact with the world, then we haven't completed the circle of obedience. What we see in this text is we see Jesus come on the scene like a champ and show us how to obey. He comes on the scene and says, this is how you listen to the Father. This is how you live an obedient life. This is how you allow obedience to come out of you, and he just lines it out like a champ for us. So what I want to do is, when we look at the text of, of John 5, I want to give you what the context is, because remember, a text with no context is no text at all. Meaning, we have to know what the story is. We can't just jump into the middle of it and say, well, here's what Jesus, why did he say this? So here's the context. It is the Sabbath. It is a day that's to be a day of rest. We're not to do any work during the day of the Sabbath. Jesus comes onto the scene at the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda is just to the north of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. This Pool of Bethesda, when the waters stir, the people that are around it, whoever gets in the water first, is healed. Pretty cool deal. I mean, this is fantastic to know that the Spirit of God stirs the water and whoever enters the waters first receives healing. There is a man that has been laying by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. 38 years he's been waiting for healing. 38 years he's been waiting for that person to come alongside him and when the waters stir, get him in there first so that all of his infirmities can be removed. 38 years he's been waiting. Jesus comes onto the scene, walks up to this man who he knows has been there for 38 years, is waiting to be healed. And he asks him a question. Do you want to be healed? I think the same question becomes applicable 2,000 years later. Some of you are in 38 years of fill in the blank. Jesus is coming to you through his spirit and saying, do you want to be well? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be taught how to listen to my voice and thus experience an obedient life, a life of freedom? Jesus asked this man of 38 years, do you want to be well? His response is, I do, but I can't find anybody to get me into the waters when they stir. I'm always too late. I can't get into it. 
Jesus comes in again like a champ and says, take up your bed and walk. And was immediately healed. Now the thing that's interesting in this story is that Jesus disappears into the background. This man doesn't know who just healed him. The man doesn't know who just changed his life of 38 years. He doesn't know who it is. But there are some Jewish lawmakers on the scene that see something. They see a man carrying his mat on the Sabbath. So let alone this man has been lying next to the pool of Bethesda for 38 years and has miraculously been healed, the lawmakers look in and say, it's the Sabbath. Who told you you could pick up your bed and walk? They miss, the only thing they miss is the boat and what's happening here. They completely miss the creator of the universe came and brought absolute healing to a man that's been waiting desperately for 38 years and the lawmakers look in and say, you're carrying your mat, you're carrying your bed on the Sabbath. Who told you to do this? Let me take one little rabbit trail. When you live a life of obedience to this Jesus, it will be radical. The world will not understand some of the things that Jesus is calling you to be obedient to. The world will not understand. They will look in and say, that doesn't make sense. Don't, that's not how we do things here. And yet, the Spirit of God will say, I, I don't play by those rules. I know it's the Sabbath. I know what, what laws you put in place. I'm about healing a man. When you live a life radically obedient to Jesus, it will go against the very nature of the world. Count on it. Don't be surprised by it. You are now an equipped people that when you choose obedience to God and the world brushes up against you and hates you for it, now you're equipped. Now you're knowledgeable. Expect it. Jesus, in that moment, when he heals this man on the Sabbath, he had one of two choices. Listen to the law of the day or listen to his Father. My question to you this morning is, who are you listening to? Who are you turning your ear towards? Who are you allowing the affections of your heart to lie? Where, where do they lie? Who, who are you listening to? Jesus chose to listen to the Father and healed a man that had been waiting for it for 38 years. Who are you listening to? The Jewish people look in, the lawmakers say, shame on you for carrying your mat on the Sabbath. You've broken the law. Who is this that told you who it was? Doesn't know because Jesus disappears into the crowd. Later on in the Temple Mount, Jesus meets this man again and says, see, you have been made well. Therefore, go and sin no more. And so this man who's been healed of 38 years of infirmity realizes Jesus that saved me. It's Jesus that healed me. So look at the response of the people when they finally find out that it was Jesus. Verse 18 of John 5. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They're ready to kill the one who is obedient to the Father. They're ready to kill the one who made association with God as Father. They're, they're ready to come against with violence 
the one who chose obedience to the one true God. Now you know. Now you know. This radical, obedient life will cost you. It will cost you something. Something that doesn't cost <laughs> is of very little value. This life of being obedient to our God will cost for sure. In the midst of this, we see in verse 19 that Jesus responds. So they're ready to come kill him. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So what I want to do is I want to unpack this verse for you and show you that, that God has laid out for us what the obedient life looks like. What does a life that listens to the Father and responds, not just listening to hear, but listening to hear and, there, and then responding to the information that's been giving, given. The first thing that we see is that Jesus knows the Father. Jesus intimately knows this Father. The first step for you to go into a place of an obedient life is to know the Father. Do you know him? Is he, is he king of your life? Do you know this God with whom we have to do? Do you know this God that says, I want freedom for you? We're, we're moving into a time and a season where we celebrate the freedom of our country. Jesus, for thousands of years, has been in the business of bringing freedom to people. Do you know him? Do, do you spend time in his word? Not just to check it off the list that, okay, I got my quiet time in. Whew, made it another week, day, minute, whatever the case may be. Or is it that the very counsel of the scripture, that he reflects his character. Therefore, I have to know what his character looks like because I want to know him. I want to know this Jesus. We obviously know that God and Jesus, for eternity past, have known each other. For eternity past and for eternity future have constantly spent time together. Same thing for us today, 2,000 years later after this is written. To know Jesus, we have to spend time with him. I love the illustration of praying without ceasing, talking with God without ceasing. If it's a, if it's a, a, a position like this, try driving like this. Try, you got to cease that. What do you do? You just talk to God. You allow the affections of your heart to pour out to him and him to you. You look at the counsel of his word. You see how he reflects his character. You get to know him. I didn't instantly know Leah until we spend time together. Hours and hours and days and months and years together to know her. And yet I'm still learning more about her. I'm still getting to know her more. Our God is the same way. And the first step in the direction of living an obedient life, one that listens and responds, is by knowing our God, knowing our Jesus. Another thing that we see in Jesus is that he trusts the Father. You look at uh, that verse 19, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. In this statement, we see that Jesus trusts him because he knows he can't do it in and of himself. 
It has to be the empowerment of, this, of the Father to accomplish what is necessary. We're the same 2,000 years later. That to trust takes time. There are different levels of trust that we have shown in this room. There's different levels of trust that you have for God in your own life. There have been experiences that have built up trust, that can hold the weight of truth, and there also have been experiences that the enemy has robbed away trust towards the Father in your life. Yet the second part of living an obedient life, where obedience pours out of us, is learning to trust. Trust takes time. You don't immediately trust somebody when you meet them. There's a building up. The thing I love about trust is that trust is built by repetitively giving opportunities to prove one's trustworthiness. Do this with God. Give him opportunity to show his trustworthiness over and over and over again. And like our VBS kids said, you will find him faithful. He will prove himself faithful. He will prove himself trustworthy. First, we must know our God. Secondly, we must be a people that trust our God. The only way we exhibit or we, we offer trust to another is by knowing them. You don't trust things that you don't know. Make sense? We can listen. We can have obedience to the Father to trust Him. We also see that not only does God, does Jesus know the Father, not only are we called to know the Father, not only are we called to trust the Father, we're called to love this God. An obedient life comes and is birthed out of love for God. Look at uh, 5 verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will show him, so that you, are marvel, that you marvel. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, and there's a mutual love between the two. We are to be the same. <laughs> the only way that you love is by knowing, by trusting. The fruit of that becomes loving. As I got to know Leah, as I got to trust her, God automatically built up love in me towards her. Make sense? Same thing with our God, folks. When we get to know him, get to trust him. We see that he's trustworthy. We get to experience the love of this Father. 1 John 5.3 says this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. To keep his commandments, you guys, it's the same word, it's obey his commandments. So if you love me, you will listen to me and respond to me. One of the things that we long for in our home is that our girls will listen to us. That when we say something to them, that they will, in the next point, they will obey quickly. It's our desire. <laughs> Not always our fulfillment. Yet we desire that that element of trust, that element of knowing that we love them and have their best interest in mind, will yield obedience. You think of, if I ask our daughters to do something, I desire them to do it quickly. I desire it to do that, do that with a, a, a good attitude. 
And yet if I were to go into the mall and there was some little guy that was having a huge ten- temper tantrum there, and I go and I speak into that kid's life and say, listen, young man, and I start parenting somebody else's child, there's no element of relationship there. That little guy might look up and say, in your face, buddy, and keep on his tantrum. Because there's no relationship. There's no love established yet. You see that? We have the same thing with our father, you guys. You have to know. You have to trust. You have to allow him to pour in love towards us, towards him. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Because Jesus knows the Father, trusts the Father, and loves the Father, when the rubber meets the road, when he meets the man on the Sabbath that needs healing after 38 years, he chooses obedience to the Father. He heals. Even on the Sabbath, he heals the man because of obedience to the Father is more important with the world system. What, what, what the lawmakers are saying, obedience to the Father is most important. Jesus obeys the Father. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Perfect sync. Listening to the Father and responding. The thing I love about obedience is that it's all about relationship. So you can be a you can keep the law without having a relationship. You can also break the law without having a relationship. But obedience demands relationship. And our God set it up that way. He said, son, daughter, I want you to know me. I want you to trust me. I want you to love me. And because of those three things, I will make it possible for you to even trust, hear, and respond to me. All about relationship. And remember, his burdens are not, his, his commandments are not burdensome. He's saying, I want you to have the freedom that I've called you to. I want you to experience the fullness of freedom by trusting, listening, and responding to my commands. John Piper sums up obedience in a fantastic way when he says, our obedience is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. One more time. Our obedience is God's pleasure when it proves that God is our treasure. The only way that God becomes a treasure for us is to know him, trust him, love him, and ultimately obey him. That's when he becomes our treasure. Obedience is a walk by faith. Walking implies action. There's action that's necessary if we're going to exhibit this towards obedience. Faith implies a choice. Faith placed that this God, this one who we will listen to, this one that we will respond to, is a concrete faith. When we add to walking and faith the knowledge of God's character and our new identity in him, it provides direction for our life. So obedience, walk by faith, when we take action, when we put our faith in the correct things, and we look into the character of God, it gives us direction for our lives. So many people ask, I want to know God's will. What's his will for me? What's his desire for me? His desire for you, know him, 
trust him, love him, and obey him. And it will be well with you. God has placed through obedience, through the listening and responding life, his fingerprints all over our world. We should be a people that have our eyes open. I want to see his fingerprints. I know his character. I know how he's revealed himself in his world, his word. I want to see how he expresses himself. We start identifying, ah, there's another place that I see God's fingerprint in my life. There's another place that I see God's fingerprint in your life. You see, he will be faithful to do that, folks. He will be faithful to show himself to you repetitively because he builds that trust with us. It's a son, daughter, I'm trustworthy. Therefore, love. And out of that love, let obedience be the response. Who are you listening to? What voice are you keyed into? What, what frequency are you listening in your decisions with finances and family and marriage and the workplace? Who, whose voice are you listening to? I would encourage you that when we are a people that choose to know this God, choose to, to express trust in Him, love Him, and live an obedient life, one that listens and responds, it will be well. God says in His Word in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, that you do these things, it is good for you that you do these things. This will lead to a radical life. Our God will bring you on an adventure of epic proportions. He will ask you to trust Him and to obey in things that go way outside your comfort zone, way outside your, your, your box. Why? Because when He does so, and obedience is the response, who gets the glory? He gets the glory. Let's be an army of men and women that are bringing glory to our God through obedience by simply listening, trusting, responding. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for being on the scene, this man at the Pool of Bethesda, being on the scene at Rimrock Church this morning. You are in the business of bringing healing to those that need it. You are in the business of bringing about freedom to those who have been in bondage. So Lord, with the knowledge of you, trusting you, falling more and more in love with you each day, we choose to obey so that you receive glory.